production of the Toro Network. This is the Uncommon Cast RX number 247. Extremely cool puppy. Extremely still murder. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Common Rider 01, episode 38. I am 1000% your friend, and I hate that they made me say those words with my mouth. <laughs> and episode 39, an unexpected outcome. Our writer for both is Takahashi Yuya. Our director for both is Sakuno Ryosuke, and I don't know who that is. And there's no way for me to find out because the only results I get Googling for him are the pages for these episodes on Rider Wiki, and Sakuno Ryosuke does not have a page on Rider Wiki. And there are and many, many websites about two characters from Prince of Tennis named Sakuno and Ryosuke that people <laughs> ship. So I assume that this is this director's first gig, and bless him, because they're wonderful episodes. I don't know who he is or any of his prior credits. I, I really hope that that's actually just his, his like, pen name. He just goes by that, because also he ships Sakuno and Ryosuke. I mean, it's probably just, that's his name, and how do you anticipate Prince of Tennis, but... You don't. Prince of Tennis just occurs, yeah. and you learn to live with it. Also, in preparation for this recording, it should be noted that, Sono, you took us down a weird and wonderful little rabbit hole into the world of robot animal collecting, uh, specifically around the, the Ibo line of products, but just sort of spinning out from there. And, um, Sono, thank you, because that's just neat. Yeah, apparently Ibo and robot pet culture is the only pure thing left in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, it's all there is. It is the only uncorrupted thing left in this world. Yeah, because it's just... It's just people, and they have these robot dogs, and they love, they just, they love them, and they celebrate them, and I celebrate their love. I am feeling so much joy from having fallen down this rabbit hole and, like, read someone's blog and watched YouTube videos of these robot dogs. I love, I love it. This is the only pure thing left. In yeah, and, and, like, we're gonna, we're gonna link to the ones we found in, like, the hour and a half we just sort of, like, messed around before we started recording. So our, as mentioned, this time is just gonna be a lot of robot dog-related stuff, and that's why. And it's neat, and it's fascinating, and please, if I sound like I'm being sarcastic or unkind, I do not intend that. When Sona says no, these are please. the only pure things, it's true. Please know that we are the most sincere about this. Yeah, like, I'm I'm a guy who just, who, who will empathize with a robot to begin with. And, like, these robot dogs, they are just so pure. And people's love for them is also so pure. And I just, I wish I had multiple thousands of dollars so I could just buy a cool robot dog and keep it in good shape. Also, there's one that is my favorite, but also a nightmare that was designed by the guy who created Macross and did mechanical design on uh, Ghost in the Shell. It's cool, but also it is a nightmare. It is truly a thing that could only come out of the same brain as Tachikoma. Um, but uh, also... But I'm... Yeah, I'm just, I'm so deeply fascinated by Ibo now, and I want one, and I'm trying to figure out how to make it happen. But, um, so anyway, 
even though that's why this episode had to be called Extremely Cool Puppy, Extremely Still Murder, because, um, man, that is a really cool dog. But having having said that, let's get into the meat of the episode, and, like, it's... These episodes are not as pure as the love between a human and an adorable robot dog. So, Sona, why don't you... No, say- they are... They are really good, though. These were two oh, really yeah. good episodes. Um, we do have some thoughts, though. Um, so I love opening episode 38 up just with Guy throwing a big old temper tantrum and, like, throwing his crutches and ripping his bandages off. But how exactly did he get the flash drive full of evidence? Because I can't imagine Shesto would, like, allow the vice president to just give it to him. Because, I don't know, like, him and the other guy might be that stupid, but, like, she isn't. Yeah, no. I, I kept expecting a shot where she's, like, rolling her eyes and looking into the camera and saying something to the effect of, yeah, like, I'd even let them touch the real one. I hid it in my glove. They don't have, like, that's just she's a She's a computer! One. Why did she not upload it to herself? Yeah, true. Good point. Like, I mean, I, I appreciate the vice president vowing that Aruto is the only one who can save heat and intelligence right now. It's nice to see him come full circle. But, like, who gave Guy the flash drive? We didn't see him steal it. Why are, Why is no one immediately, like, chasing him down the stairs while he's, like, limping his way down on crutches? Like, Shesta, baby, you of all people are better than this. It's true. I'm, I'm getting the impression that... She is still bound by robot laws, where it's like, you shall not hurt a human. Even when, like, hurting would be something simple and honest, like smacking some up, someone upside their fool head for being aggressively foolish. Or, you know, okay. pushing him down some stairs, like he deserves. Fair, I guess. What's everyone else's excuse? Oh, they're just so ensconced in corporate power that they forget that it is physically possible to do things that are against the rules. Like, haha, we've proved you violated subsection 5.3 of the corporate charter. You're out of here! Uh, no I'm not. Oh crap. What do we do now? Like, that's what's going on with them. And that's how a lot of actual real people think, and it's not as funny. I'm also not sure why Jin thought he could, like, try to pull a knife on the arc when it's connected to, like, two other people in the room. Who are both behind him and can see the knife? Also, like, like it's just a knife. <laughs> I mean, he is in, like, a squishy human robot body right now. I'm sure you could stab Hirobi. But, like, obviously the Ark knew he was going to do this from the beginning. But still, even if he wasn't directly connected to Naki and Ikazuchi, like, we see Naki behind Jin visibly react to the Slash Driver... And that was probably more than enough to tip him off, even if he wasn't in Naki's head also. Yeah. But, like, just, like, much like Shesta, Jin, baby, you're better than this. But, okay, in his defense, I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong, Sona, I'm not. In his defense, though, maybe he's starting to, to attract himself to those human notions of tragic or pyrrhic victories. That's true, and I it, it is true that Jin is all about the drama. Oh, he loves it. He loves it. It just seemed very weird, because I'm like, those other two are right there. They can see it. Naki is reacting. 
and yelling about it. Why did you not think that would happen? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, I'm also not sure why Guy thought he could command uh, Zaya to mass print Raid Risers when he knows it's been offline for weeks now, like, back before Yua resigned. Because, like, when they first took Heden, Yua was like, hey, the satellite isn't connected. Yeah, she's, like, she she's not listening to you. Him. She's like, it's not, it's not here, it won't do anything. And that hasn't changed. I mean, of course, Guy is currently backed into a corner and desperate and still has an ego the size of the sun at the moment. So I'm willing to accept that he's just totally foregone logic and is like, of course it will respond to me, I'm me. Which would be an exceedingly Guy's Eye Man thing to do. Uh, him grabbing onto the chair when he was confronted, like, that was a little much. <laughs> Like, first of all, buddy, the chair has wheels. You can grab it all you want, but they can just, like, wheel you out. Which I wish they would have done. Like, he's just trying to drag his feet, so so they just, like, turn it around and just pull him out backwards. Like, whatever they do, they could just... It'd just be funny to see them work so hard to make him leave. I just think that sort of physical comedy's great. Yeah, it's, like, I like the feeling of desperation he's got going on, and, like, the breaking point that he reaches... Um, I liked him locking everyone out of the lab while he, like, manically deletes the evidence. Um, even if I do wish they'd shown him grabbing that flash drive. But something in the melodrama of him, like, shoving past everyone and, like, scrambling up the steps and, like, throwing himself onto the chair and wrapping his arms around it, like, was just a little bit too far for me. Yeah, which, I, I get it. And also... I see why they did it, even as I agree that it's it's a bit much. Because, I mean, the whole episode is kind of about him regressing to a child so he can connect with his core traumas, and we can understand that in many ways he's been an injured child this whole time, which has prevented him from becoming the person he needs to be, as exemplified by his boasts of being an eternal man-child, which actually, like, it becomes kind of poetic in this context. But also, yeah, it's, it sure is a lot. And also, it just makes me think about a rogue back in Build. I forget the character's name, but, you know, he's the crocodile. Cracked egg, it's great. Again, Again my boy. Yeah. Back when they had to change his characterization because, you know, the actor's kids were so scared of him, their own dad, because he was so scary on TV. It's, it's like they're trying to make Guy into a funny presence instead of a menacing one, which makes sense because they're trying to ease us into his face turn, even though it's not really easing because it happens the same episode. Though they haven't built yeah, into it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it works. It works. It's just that bit is just way too melodramatic for me, even, even for Guy. No, it's fair. And oh god, here goes Jin with the gun again. Like, I know it's the Ark, and this time it's a lot weightier because the Ark knows what a gun is, and he's definitely out to kill people. He's- because I don't think Jin ever really had- like, especially child Jin, had a really good sense of, like, killing someone and being dead up until Hirobi dies. Like, I don't really think he totally understood what that meant. Where, you know, the Ark definitely does. Oh, yeah. The Ark knows what shooting someone does. 
but like I just I can't deal with seeing a gun being fired into a group of people like I do not want to get into the politics of real life in the world right now I hey, yeah, really do not that's my beat so no um, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. like I I really yeah, it's it's stressful it's just... and miserable yeah, it's like, I understand the utility, and it's the right amount of threatening and scary, and I know stuff is not the same in the U.S. as it is in Japan, but I just, I really can't deal with seeing a gun being fired into a group of people right now. Dude, that's legit. I, I, I do not share your exact reactions, but I totally understand where you're coming from, and I'm not going to give you crap about it. So let's just let's get into the next episode because yeah, there's not really a lot to say there. Yeah, so I'm I'm sure the reason for this is pandemic meant we couldn't film enough because uh, I'm sure there are restrictions on how long they can film and, and and all sorts of things. So honestly, it it really doesn't make a difference in the long run. It just felt very weird when we have the cold open and then the opening theme and from the opening theme we go directly into the fight where they restart realize from the beginning like they don't even roll it directly into the second half of the song we just loop back to the beginning work our way to the bridge and then cut out the second verse and mix it right to the end of the song for the when the fight ends Mm. and it's just really weird to me that they didn't forgo the opening sequence entirely and just put the fight under the full theme song since they used the full theme song from the beginning anyway. Yeah. Like, the fight is a big enough deal that it would have worked. It's not like this isn't something that you couldn't have cut out the opening for. This is, you know, our villain for most of the series having his face turned. Just... Going through the the TV mix of Realize only to start Realize again as soon as it ends felt very, very strange. Yeah, yeah, especially since I don't, like you said, they, they could have just, they could have done the whole, the fight as the opening, or just intercut the fight with the opening, or something, it just, like, look, I even realize that, that maybe it's because they have to put the little sponsor break between the opening and the show and that's why they wanted to restart the music to, to sort of like lead you into the feeling but I don't know put them somewhere else and just move direct from the opening into the fight because like you could still have the opening and then it just it cuts straight to verse 2 fight 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 but it just, I don't know the rhythm of it was so off yeah, it was it was weird, and I I feel like they could have just done the cold open, put the sponsor thing like after guys like let's go do the thing, and then just cut right to the fight and start playing the song and just not use the the visual opening sequence. Like it would it would serve the exact same purpose. They just. I feel like they needed to fill another minute 30 of time Yeah, that they hadn't planned to need to fill. No, it's, it's true. Also, you know, since we're bagging on this bit a little, I just, I realized 
that it would have been so much better to to hold off on the in-show use of the second verse until they got to episode 40 just given the the next time on that we're that we're working with like the episode preview 440 looks like this would be the place where you'd want to do the second verse well they don't even use the second verse though they actually edit the second verse out they go right verse no they they cut to like the bridge Mm. and then edit the verse out and go to the end of the song because I like I, I definitely noticed there's different lyrics, but I just uh, it's just weird, man. It didn't. I don't know what's going on. Um. So then there's the bit where Aruto and Izu use. Well, Aruto uses the zero one driver. Izu just seems to do it the way she always has. Um. Like, have they just been able to do that and contact satellite Zaya the whole time? <laughs> Which I guess it makes sense because Aruto needs the satellite to transform into Zero One, I think? And I'm not sure what exactly I would have wanted them to do with that if they've been able- But I was under the impression that she was offline entirely since none of the restored Yumagir could connect to her. And they, like, downloaded all of them off the satellite. Yeah, I wasn't sure either. I, I admit I'd had a slightly different impression. I- I thought she just sort of, like, went incommunicado because she didn't want to get exploited by Guy. But they never say, so I don't know. Like, it's I weird. thought she had completely anyway. disconnected from the network. Like, I had, like, completely cut herself off from all networks and, like, gone dormant. Yeah. Which just... Man, I don't know. And as much as thematically I love the idea of Zero One as the legacy Aruto's been handed, having reached its limits, and Aruto has to build on that legacy further on his own. Like, I love that idea. This kid is not a mechanical engineer. He's a failed comedian. Like, he can't just build a new Kamen Rider out of stuff he's got lying around and have it be the strongest thing in this show. That doesn't make any sense. Like, he he looks at all of these very detailed schematics of Zero-One, and I guess if he's trying to, like, figure out what parts of those he needs to make stronger and plans to, like, go to Yua and be, like, just hold it up and be like, help, please? Because she's the only non-evil person in this show that can build a belt? Like, fine? Because, well, I mean, I guess... I guess he has access to... I don't know if he has access to the 3D printer anymore. Like, Zaya can't decide whether or not it wants to be here. I don't know. Yeah, no, that... I just have a really hard time believing Aruto can look at those, like, pages and pages of, like, belt schematics that are on his desk in that one scene when he's trying to do this and believe that he, like, knows what any of that means. Yeah, no lie, dude, because... Like, look, the kind... This is some high-level engineering, and that's not something you can just kind of pick up as you go. I mean, look, I'm sure for, like, repair, yeah, you could probably, like, if you look at the schematics, and be like, okay, so that goes there. 
but like I have been under the impression that he's been like reading a Chilton manual to repair the the human gear. <laughs> Because, like you said, he's he's not a mechanical engineer. That is not his job. I've, I've just been assuming Izu. Izu's been doing yeah. that part. Or, or like I've just been assuming like he has been finding the bodies, and Izu has been like cleaning them up and you know opening them up, you know wiping down the circuit boards and all that, doing doing like an odd tinkering. Uh, I guess I'll give you a link to that YouTube channel. I've been watching a lot of videos of like restoring. Old, like vintage consoles that are like really yellowed and like, yeah. gross. Yeah, I uh, there's a. I'll also put a, a link in there for Eight Bit Guy. He has a, a, a channel where he does a lot of like old, uh, like Commodore sixty fours. Yeah, so like I assume it's it's like that where you know Izu's opening them up and cleaning them out and making like maybe replacing some parts. Armchuck doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, no. I just, I I guess maybe. He's he's prepping to do a Steve Jobs, which you know, it would seem kind of out of step with what we're doing. But also, people give Steve Jobs an undue amount of credit because what he did was less invent all of these big ideas like the iPod and iPhone and stuff. As much as he took a bunch of extant technologies that were developed by the U.S. government but had not yet found application, and he just combine them all together and boom there's an iPod boom there's an iPhone like but he didn't even do that he just told people hey figure out how to make this work i want i want a thing this big that i can play a bunch of music on make it go and they made it go but that's that's not what he's doing he doesn't have people <laughs> well i mean he has hakase like, I... but I can believe that Aruto has figured out how to run a business at this point. I can believe that. That's actually not that hard, especially when he spent, like, six months in charge of a major corporation. I can believe that he learned some, like, how to run a basic business. Even with how much, like, how much time he spent in this AI-focused company, I cannot believe that he would be able to build a Kamen Rider belt. With his very limited resources. I mean, even even with Hakusebot, like, there's only so much, bro. <laughs> that said, that said, I... Well, Hakusebot wouldn't know anything about the Zero-One driver. The that's only true. The who knew who are allowed to know about that, like, they don't get backed up. That's true, yeah, so it's just Izu. And, well, anyway, I just... I don't know how they're going to do it. I look forward to seeing, but mostly I just want to see his crayon drawings of the new Zero One. Because, like, that's what I'm imagining he's been writing down. He's not, like, making full schematics. He's just, like, drawing the shape he wants it to be in. And, like, there's little lightning bolts all over. And, and like, down at the bottom, there's a picture of Zero One, but it's, like, super buff and surrounded by little stick figures with, with little, like, uh, speech bubbles coming up, like, You're so handsome, Aruto. I want to kiss you, Aruto. I love you, Aruto. Marry me. I feel like it would just be, You're so funny, Aruto. Yes, that's true. Yeah. That's really the only thing he cares about. Yeah, it's just, it's just giant buff zero one with the giant, with just a huge mungus bow tie, and every, all the stick figures are on the ground laughing. 
Yeah, everyone's just like, oh, Aruto, you're so cool and funny. Yeah. Like, look, let me see those crayon drawings. I think that'd be funny. Because if that's, if that's what his, his, the, the zero one that he makes is like, that's brilliant. Like, if it's just, hey, Yaiba, make this work. Izu, translate this into computer. I just imagine him being very, like, small child about it, even though that's not fair. He's a common writer. He's been he's been working hard to create a world where humans and human gear can work together, but also he's he's a silly boy. I am a little confused by Ikazuchi going back to being Raiden. Um just just kind of the mechanics of it, because Naki brings up him reaching singularity as he gets those memories back. But in 35.5, and this episode seems to imply that he just didn't have that in him until that moment. But in 35.5, Azu seemed to imply that, one, all four members had already reached Singularity, and that he already remembered all of the Raiden stuff. And, like, Jin also brings up that Ikazuchi was reset entirely back to factory settings. He'd been completely wiped. Which is what I had thought happened. But again, in 35.5, Azu implies the complete opposite of that. Well, I, I sort of thought that it's after she, when she takes the singularity data, that's when he got reset. Because like, hey, we, we have your soul. We don't need you to have that anymore. Link. At least that's what I sort of thought they were doing. But I mean, in 35.5, like, she talks to him. I mean, I guess. I guess. I just, it, I don't know, it's, I'm just very confused by it, because I'm starting to think that, like, 35.5 didn't actually happen. I mean, it, it might not have. It was a weird, like, sort of culmination of the clip shows. Yeah, like, I feel like it was stuff that they had started to film before they went on hiatus, and Azu has just gotten cut for time. Yeah. Well, they, there was an interview where, apparently, at least on Azu's uh, writer wiki page, they say they weren't even sure how they were going to bring her in. She was just an idea that they'd been wanting to do the whole time. And I guess that was just the only space they could find for her. Yeah, I I feel like Azu, uh, much like Dark Yuki, was an idea that they really liked and wanted to do, and it got cut for time. Except this time there was, like, a good reason for it. Yeah, I mean, there is that whole global pandemic. I, I don't take many digs at Forze, but that is... Forze's mishandling of the middle of its story is something that I will always poke at it for because it didn't have to be that way. The fact that those Sonoda Net movies exist and the plot of them is her scouting Yuki to be a horoscope because she thinks you- or scouting her to be a zodiac because she thinks that she would be a horoscope. Like, clearly this is an entire Sonoda and Yuki plotline that got cut. That they just put in net movies for some reason. Well, you know, they didn't- Because they're not funny. They didn't want to let him go. Because if, if there's one thing I know about creative people, it's if they can't make- this this cool idea happen in the way they wanted to, they'll find a freaking way. I mean, I'm glad they exist. I love them. 
but like they're so counter to the tone of every other net movie that exists. Like they're in the same set as the one where Shun and the horoscopes are on a game show. And like the Sonona and Yuki ones, they're not comedic. They're not funny. They're not meant to be fun. Like, there's some jokes in them, but they're not meant to be funny. They're heartbreaking. And I watched them like, this is so weird. This is so obviously cut from the show. Um, also, I know Aruto, like, wants to believe in the best of Yumagiras, and, like, Raiden's like, yeah, it's me. The kind of, like, tough, heart of gold older brother. But this is the second time someone has done exactly this. Like, using Raiden's system to get close to Aruto yeah. and then turn the tide of battle yeah. by manipulating Aruto through him. And this time, Aruto knew that there was a malevolent AI in Raiden's system. <laughs> like, at least last time he had the excuse of not knowing he'd been hacked. And then, on top of it, Jin is, like, six inches to the left being like, this is clearly a trap. Yeah. This is very clearly a trap. Why are we going along with this? Like, I don't know. I know that everything in the production has become very, very shuffled because of the pandemic. And I assume that, like, had we gotten those five episodes that Zero One was clearly meant to have, that uh, we probably would have gotten, like, two episodes of character building for Raiden? Uh, yeah, something tells me. We're... Like, maybe this this double-cross wouldn't have... Double-cross is a very loose way of putting it, because Raiden obviously doesn't know... Like, he's obviously actually has gone back to being Raiden. Mm. And doesn't know that this is a trap. Um, but everyone else should have been like, Hey, this isn't your first rodeo at being a sleeper agent, bro. <laughs> just... Yeah, like... We're just gonna run just, a debug. I, <laughs> Don't sweat I it. I know things are gonna be rushed because of everything that's happened. But it felt very rushed. Yeah. Like, the underlying bones of the thing and these episodes as a whole are so good that I'm not mad. It doesn't... Like, it's it's not a deal-breaker for these episodes because they do get across everything they need to get across. But this section of our show exists for a reason. Yeah. And it was so kind of messily handled to the point that everyone was self-aware of the problem, I feel like I have to bring it up because, like, this is the third time in his men in two episodes that I'm like, Aruto, baby, you're better than this. Like, you're you're dumb, but dude, come on, you're not you're not that you're better. Than, yeah, you're better than this. Like, look, you've you've got a low int stat, but your wisdom is through the roof. You're not stupid. Just, you know, a little, little unaware. But it's... Yeah. Just doesn't, doesn't know very technical book things. Which is fair. Neither do I. Yeah, look... I couldn't build a rider belt, but I'm not pretending that I could. And look, if, if I was tasked to build a rider belt, it would just be, like, alright, here's what it would look like, and here's, like, the super cool-looking design, and here's all the people around me saying... Oh, Aleph, you're so handsome. Common Rider, Aleph, you're so brave. You know, that's what it would be. I, I ain't gonna pretend. I'm, I'm not so, I'm not too proud to say that, like, if I was gonna design myself a Common Rider, 
I would want to look cool as hell. Because, I mean, what's the point otherwise, right? Yeah, it's... I just... It just felt very weird that the entire time Jin is right here being like, guys, this is obviously a trap. Here is a play-by-play of what's going to happen. And then they get there, and Aruto is shocked when that exact thing happens. Yeah. Which, like, Jin is like, I literally am the one who did this to you last time. Yeah, remember? This was my plan. I know how this goes. Yeah. I, I really would have appreciated just a bit where he just looks at Aruto like, Kid, you're sweet, but, um, how did you not see this coming? This is, this is exactly what we did last time. But, you know, whatever, like, things, things are sort of foggy, and it's, it's that thing where you understand the narrative utility of everything they're doing, but, cause, you know, like you said, we're, we're down some episodes, and they want to get there as quick as possible, but it it really does just feel so muddy and just meh in presentation. But I feel like that's really it for the bad stuff. Yeah, honestly, it's mostly just a lot of little nitpicks. There's nothing major that's really a problem in these episodes. Structurally, hey, guess what? It's still a pretty good Common Rider show. Which, you know, boy, that's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it's... Like, it's, it's mostly just a lot of weird little things that is like, but we need to move. We, we can't dwell on this. We just need to keep going. And it's like, but I want to know the explanation for this thing. No, we don't have time. Which, like, look, I appreciate no, we don't have time. There have been years where it's like, come on, nothing happened this episode. Let's go. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. And this time they're... It's it's nice to have the opposite thing of, whoa, slow down, wait a minute. Because I'd much rather have, whoa, slow down, wait a minute, because then they can just overwhelm me with stuff. And, and, look, if... Which is if definitely you, what happens in these episodes. Yeah, look, if, if you can override my critical faculties, I have to give you some credit, because I'm such just a nitpicky guy. I will pause things in the middle to just be like, hey, wait a minute. So if, if you can keep me from doing that, you know what? Good on you. You done good, show. Speaking of things the show done good, let's let's just get into the upgrades and then the things we enjoyed. Um, I adore the vice president just going over Guy's head and canceling the Raid Riser public release. Because uh, we mentioned this last time, but much like you, like Yua, uh, Fukuzoe may not have a dream, but he's got principles, and he has reached the line that he refuses to cross, and that line is selling weapons to the public. And I respect that. Yeah, same, same. He, he will put up with, I would say, far too much, by a lot, but, you know, he, he does have, he does draw that line. I'm not going to say that more corporations should have that kind of simple baseline, shouldn't even count as ethical decision-making thing, but, you know, I'm, I'm also not not saying it. Um, also, there's not too much to say about this, but Izu just grabbing Fukuzoe and throwing him over the railing to the upper level was beautiful. Bless her. Izu strong. Izu strong. 
and, and look, do not think that just because Izu does not make a habit of wrecking people with her bare hands that she could not. She does not. There's a difference. Just please, Toei, give me a bit where Izu just wrecks a fool with her bare hands. I do not care which fool. Any fool. I recognize that Toei does... You know, I recognize that you don't have to do violence in a common Rider series to be a cool character. But at the same time, like, Izu has gone through so much stuff, and she's been so nice. I just want to see her get to go monkey poop for a second on someone. Yeah, I just, I want to see her just punch the arc really hard. Yeah. And, like, have it affect him. Yeah, like, crack the, crack the driver. I'm not saying she has to defeat him, I wouldn't mind. But, you know, if she can't defeat him in a single blow, I would at least like her to, you know, you know, punch the driver and have it, like, send up a, a shower of sparks. And it's... And... I don't even need that. I Really, what I want is essentially what Sakura got in Bokenger, where, like, the biggest, scariest guy is kind of mocking her, and for, for Sakura, she just screamed, shut up, and the dude, like, recoiled in fear. I just want Yuzu to, like, pop him in the jaw. Yeah, that'd be good. And just, ha like, have it, his head goes back and he kind of, like, stumbles. That would be good. And then, like, you know, he's he's gonna go after Izu and they're like, whoa, no, Izu, bye. Like, they just kind of, like, someone else goes into attack, Aruto just, like, picks her up and puts her somewhere else. But I do have to say, especially if they could uh, do the Ahim from uh, Gokaiger, I do not wish to listen to anything you have to say. Whack! <laughs> Just because, you know, she's too polite to say, shut your dang mouth. Yes, she is. Uh, Fua bringing flowers to Yua at the hospital, like, was honestly one of the sweetest things I've seen in a while. I kind of audibly gasped when he hands down and you see the flowers in his hand. Because seeing Fuwa doing something so gentle and considerate for someone he cares about, like, this dude who was so screamy and angry for so much of the show, just bringing his injured friend flowers, like, got me. Like, and then they kind of resume their friendly half-bickering when... That essentially means, hey, are you okay to do this dangerous thing? I'm gonna do this dangerous thing one way or another, so, you know, have my back. And the way that they can always slip in and out of that so smoothly is incredible. They really have some of the best chemistry we've seen on Kamen Rider in years. It's very true. And it's especially nice after how long Yua just didn't get to do anything except for like the handful of times she was guys sort of sarcastic unhype woman and not not mind you that i didn't enjoy her busting on guy in those really like those little ways but i'm i'm still so glad where she's out of there and could like hit him instead of just snarking at him because she just she gets to be so much more of a character now and i love yeah i also love her and fuwa's friendship they're really good they are. It's, I, I also appreciate that Shesta is finally like, 
I am a walking video recorder. I'm just gonna take footage of a Matsugai, president of Hidan Intelligence and Zaya Enterprise, misusing his common Rider belt to assault co-workers for doing a thing that he just doesn't like. And then submit that as evidence. Yeah. You know, the thing that we've been saying that Izu should have done like 20 episodes ago. Which is no knock against Izu, but the man is the living incarnation of big crimes. And we definitely could have solved this in this exact fashion like half a show ago. Yeah, no, it's true. I, I just assumed that Izu and Shesta have been programmed to try and solve things through corporate channels. But now that Shesta's been finally given the mandate to find and report crimes, she's just finally figured she's got the go-ahead to act like a responsible person and not like a corporate drone. Uh, which, by the way, brings me to my post-series movie idea. Uh, Shesta and Anna, you know, the, the amazing tour guide, start a Humagear journalism service and or detective agency. Like, if... if Bless. Yeah, if Toei doesn't take it, that's going to be my fanfiction idea, because that's cool robots doing noir stuff, and, like, Anna can be... Like, they're both the brains and the brawn, but Anna is more the brains, and Shesta's more the brawn, because every time she'd, like, pull her gloves tight, I'm like, oh, she wants to wreck a dude. <laughs> she is looking forward to- She absolutely wants to snap someone in half. Yeah. Like, she just- she has been dreaming of a way to put that gloved hand through Amatsugai's face and out the back of his head, because I- really get the impression she does not care for him very much and she's only known him for like 20 minutes yeah she's been asleep the rest of the time <laughs> of course she did have to work for him so well that's that's true right the first time he popped up he, it's he just... got rid of yuma gears the second he got in control of the company yeah that's true she she just got back and was like wow he has been doing big crimes in my corporation. And he's been messing with my vice president. That's not all. Only I get to do that. Yeah. Again, she was she was our big bet for being a villain from the off, so... He did almost let the three of them die in a fire, though, and she's probably still at least a little salty about that. I mean, I can't say I blame her. I did just remember that he almost let the three of them die in a fire. Yeah, which, again, like, in a show where we have talked many times about the many horrible ways you can die in Kamen Rider, uh, just, just burning to death in a fire is a really awful way to go. Just, in a show filled with awful ways to go, that's a really awful way to go. So Arto choosing Hidan Manufacturing over Hidan Intelligence because it's something that he built with his hands that and it need, that company needs him because Hidden Intelligence has hundreds of people to support it and keeping it running even with him gone and I really liked that like his dream is coming true in this smaller place that he built with his own hands and of course he's not going to want to abandon that yeah that's that's his and it, it also picks up on some of the themes set up in the Rewa Generations movie about learning what you can from the past, but making your own thing. Like, yeah, Granddad made Hiden Intelligence, but when it got Zayed up, Aruto still made something of his own. He didn't 
do it to make Huma Gears, but to help Huma Gears. He has his own dream, and it's related, and it's informed by Grandpa's dream, but he has his own dream, and it's his, and it's beautiful. And it, it ties back into this thing of Zero One has reached its limit. He's got to move on to something bigger and better, and no one can make it for him at this point. Yep. Even though, like, clearly someone's going to have to make it for him. But no one can make it for him. Um, I do love Ikazuchi still knowing the back ways into the heat and launch facility. But I also love that just seeing a rocket flings him face-first, top speed, into Big Brother mode. Like, he's just got so much dang love in his heart for Subaru that even ripping his heart out can't stop all that love. No, it's true. Like, not to get all Kingdom Hearts here, but there's more to the heart than any amount of data can make sense of. Like, you can know that human gears are indeed people, because they are more than the sum of our of their parts, just like we are. Because you, you can remove a chunk of code from Ikazuchi, but you cannot remove Subaru from his heart. And that's just... Yeah, like he's... Like you said, so much Big Brother energy, and it's beautiful. So, I I know we love Ai-chan. I know oh, yeah. we talked so much about we, how much we love her. But bless her, she can look at the biggest sack of trash this show has to offer and go, yeah, I'll be friends with that. And then give, give him a shoulder to cry on about his tragic bad dad backstory. Which, like, look, not for nothing, that is such a Gentro Kisaragi move. Yeah. Also, I love Guy's dad's terrible 1985 mustache. His dad's whole character design is the worst, and it's perfect. Yeah, no, it really is, because his whole everything is so believably awful. And it just, again, one more instance of the costuming department on this show knowing what they're about this time around. Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen them really faceplant, but this season has been pretty good. Um, I can also kind of appreciate Guy's backstory as this kid who was pretty severely emotionally traumatized. Oh, yeah. And twisted into something just terrible. Especially as this parallel of Aruto, who had this very loving father that he lost very young, so he doesn't even he doesn't seem to even have bad memories of him. So his father is like on this pedestal in his head. Yeah, and I, I think that parallel is the one of the most important parts because it's that there but for the grace of God go I thing, talking about how the people in our lives can really affect the people we become. And you know you get that comparison between hey, all these people say that a human is uh, this kind of parent is automatically better than that kind of parent, and you know, people who say that sort of thing are always wrong because nothing is always anything. Anyway, that's sort of a self-contradictory thing. You know what I mean. But yeah, like like you say, the, the counterpoint it offers along with the way that it highlights the kind of selective concepts of personhood might... Like, it might not make you want to forgive guys I am in, but at least it feels like the final piece of the puzzle that is him. 
that I didn't even know I was putting together a puzzle, but once you saw it, and once you saw his dad go like, Hey, Dad, I got 100%. Yeah, well, why isn't it a 1,000? I'm like, that that's the... That's terrible, man. That's What a horrible thing to say. Especially since, like, any adult would know it doesn't go up to a 1,000. And I know that is... It doesn't work that way. Yeah, that's the smallest, stupidest thing, because of course it doesn't work that way. This is just... It's just such an elegant way to show what a terrible person his dad is. Just, oh my god, so terrible. Also, though, it does explain why Guy would have so much information about the ugliest, most sadistic parts of humanity, and why he put them into the arc, because there is this subtext of multi-generational stuff going on here. In in Guy's case, it's multi-generational trauma. And while that's not really the A-plot, it also informs the A-plot, and I really respect that, because, yeah, of course he put all of this horrible, evil garbage into a being that is essentially his son. Because that's what his dad did to him. And it's... It's heartbreaking. Like, we're, we're gonna talk more about it later, but I also appreciate that, like, he doesn't get let off the hook because it's heartbreaking. Like, there's, there's a degree to which I kind of wish it had come up earlier, so that that parallel was more pronounced but also like it doesn't really with the the structure of this narrative it doesn't make sense for it to like there's nowhere where it could have come up earlier. yeah no i'm i'm with you though so it's like the only reason i really want it to be earlier is for that parallel to be more pronounced because i think it's such a really interesting thing between him and aruto but it just, it doesn't make sense to be earlier than it is now. Um, and, like, it, it really got me that Guy forced himself to give up someone he loved in order to try and fit himself into this mold forced upon him by someone who clearly just kept moving the goalposts after every single one of Guy's achievements. Like, clearly they really dramatize it by having a thunderstorm going on in the background as he's packing away his beloved AI robot dog best friend to, I don't know, maybe be returned or sold. I don't know what happens to him after that. But it, he probably remembers it being that dramatic because he was 10. He was a 10-year-old. Of course he's going to remember it being that awful. It's the worst thing that ever happened to him. Yeah, man. He was a 10-year-old that probably wasn't allowed to have human people friends, and this robot dog was the only one who ever showed him any love, and he forced himself to remove it from his life. Like, this isn't even like Old Yeller, because Old Yeller is rabid, and hey, that's why you gotta put Old Yeller down. He's, he's, you know, he's feral, he's in pain, he's, he's dying and snapping, and you have to save him in the only way you know how. This isn't that. This is just, hey, kid, you probably would get a thousand percent if you stopped having any joy in your life. So he, like, he's, he's taking a healthy dog who loves him out behind the shed, and no wonder that messes him up. That's 
horrible. Also, like, sadly, it's it's not unbelievable, which is... Mm. Yeah. I, I'm not going to dwell there, but, um, hey, if that's happened to you, dear listener, like, I'm not saying that the things that have happened to you are unbelievable or unreal. I hope that it didn't happen. I hope I wouldn't wish that sort of thing on anyone, but it's it's frustratingly and horrifically heartbreakingly believable. And I think what sells this, what makes me able to kind of take this in and still and really allow myself to to be sympathetic um, is the fact that two minutes ago we saw a guy try to just outright murder a couple of normal, unarmed, undefended people. So we're definitely supposed to take this as, like, an explanation, not an excuse. Yes. Because, boy, if they were trying to play that off as, hey, this is my cool motive, it's not murder, it's like, no. (laughs) Nah, dude. Like, they definitely set this up where they kind of build your bad feelings of Guy to the max, so that you cannot forget the stuff he's done in previous episodes. Um, I also love that the robot dog's name is Thouser. I love that he named his common Rider after his beloved childhood robot dog. Like, that's, that's sweet. That's cute. Um, that's something that resonates with me very, very deeply on some very personal levels. Um, especially when we see a guy as an adult have his first ever really human emotions when he's reunited with the only sentient being he's ever loved. Like, there's some stuff in me that many things are not able to reach. Uh, this is the third. But man, this hit me dead on at a thousand miles an hour. Yeah, no. And, and it's a, like, it hits especially hard with not only is this the first thing that he ever loved, it might well be the first and only thing that has ever loved him. Because, I mean, you, you look at his dad asking the impossible out of him on the reg, and demanding he sacrifice some the only thing that gives him joy on the altar of dad's approval, which something tells me he did not get. Like, you, you very much understand why Guy doesn't know how to love. Because he had to seal that part of himself away in that box in the thunderstorm, and it's all down to to him having to own up to his own stuff and break the cycle that created him. And it's it's really well done without, again, trying to convince us that he is, in the recent parlance of the internet, a precious cinnamon roll who has never done anything wrong. Ooh-woo. I am definitely not letting any of the junk he's done slide for any reason, and I still want to punch him really hard and then see him go to jail forever. But I mean, like, my heart is not made of stone. I do sympathize with him. I feel for him. But it doesn't- like, the way they've done this somehow has managed to not undermine his, like, 20 episodes of big crimes. Yeah. Yeah, because look, he absolutely orchestrated, at the very least, a lot of people going to the hospital, and was ready to orchestrate a lot of people getting murdered to death. Like, you know, I'm glad that we understand why he is this way, and and the forces that, that are arrayed to sort of put him in this, in this horrible sense 
of Arrested Development because, yeah, he just he needed big numbers to try and please his dad, who was something tells me never pleased anyway. I mean, like, he's definitely at least got one human being's blood on his hands because that kid's dad did die in Daybreak. We don't know how many pe- how many humans died in Daybreak. But at least one. But there's at least one. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's it's nice that he apologizes and, and he sees the error of his ways and he's going to make his big gesture and, and stand up against the Ark. But also, you know, as ever, jail. Hey, man, plead guilty. Serve your time. Get some therapy. Get properly rehabilitated while also offering some kind of meaningful recompense. The whole nine. Because, like, look, I might not be in favor of a carceral state generally, but at the same time, like, that's the model of justice I know, and is it ideal? Clearly not. The justice system is not perfect, but it's the model I know and the one we can talk about most, because the thing is, like, he still needs to pay for his crimes. Whatever that looks like in whatever model, he needs to pay for his crimes. Do the equivalent of go to jail, because <laughs> uh, it's it's just his this this thing with him and the robot dog speaks to something very very personal for me. And no, it's beautiful. And I like I can't not sympathize with it. It worked way better when they did it during Drive with Medic. And believe me, it's hard to admit that Drive did anything better than Zero One. But, I mean, Medic went from being the character I hate most in Drive to being my favorite character in one episode. Where here, I I mean, like, I still hate Guy. I still... He got an ounce of sympathy out of me. Because that was... Like, I gotta give the dude who plays him credit. He is really good at acting he's a really good actor he can he can swing all the big emotions he has just he's just been playing a character that has only had like two up until this point but seeing the dude cry getting his robot best friend back it was so beautiful like it shouldn't be but like when when satellite Zaya's 3d printing the dog and, and like the dog emerges and he just like breaks down i was breaking down too it was it's really good um, on a much lighter scale that shot of aruto jumping his motorcycle past arc zero was flipping sick that's very true that's very true i like the only thing the only way it could have been better and i say this reluctantly would have been if it was like a Sakamoto shot where it's just like there's just like three explosions in the background while he's doing it. Why? Cuz you know it's cool, motorcycles. But you know, that's that's not even me bashing it. It's just it's a sick shot. I just also would have liked three explosions and stuff. Um so I we we've cut we've brought him up several times. I do love the $3,000 Sony robot dog that Toei bought to play a pivotal emotional character in their children's action television show. And as I said before, I want one. Yeah, no, look, same. This is incredibly effective advertising, especially if you can get a version with the awful tacky gold collar. Because, I mean, look, I would 
like, look, while I'm talking about the dog, props to them, because that dog looks just weird enough that until I found out that, no, that is just the Sony, that is the latest iteration of the Sony Ivo, I kept wondering if it was, like, an effect, or if it was, like, a prop that had been enhanced by computer effects, but no. See, I, th- I thought it might be a weird puppet. Yeah. Because of the way it moves. Because it moves very much like it's being puppeteered. But no. It moves like a Muppet. Yeah, it does. But no, that's just... That dog can just do that stuff. If you have one of those dogs, they can do that. And, like, look, for $3,000, they had better be able to do that kind of stuff. Because that is a lot of money. Also, um, while we were going through our, our little uh, robot pet wiki rabbit hole, um, it must be pointed out that this is the latest edition of the Sony Ivo, and its model number is ERS-1000. And that's just... That's brilliant, man. That... I don't know... Also, this... It's got to be some kind of coincidence because it was released in in January of 2018, which would have been way before they were planning for Zero One, and especially Thouser and this one specific plot point about him. I, I keep hoping that it's going to turn out to have been one of the, the cast's personal robot dog, and they're just like, hey man, wait, this thing is... This thing is is a model 1000. Can we can we do anything with that? And just in the writers room, Takashi Yuya's face just lit up. It's just like I know what I know how we can use this cool robot dog. Will Sony let us? Cuz you know, you you got to ask their permission cuz that is like a very specific product. Oh, yeah. But I mean, like, I can't imagine that Sony wouldn't oh, no. wouldn't yeah. be like, "This is a great advertising opportunity for us." Yeah. Um, how good is how good is our robot dog? It will turn the guy you want to just every time you see him, you just want to push him into a mud puddle, into a person that you're like, "Aw, but he's a person though." Like, look how good of an actor our robot dog is. I mean, look, not for nothing. That robot dog, like, they sold me on a lot of the stuff. Like, that robot dog sold it pretty good. I was, I was quite impressed. Look, that robot dog sold it better than some actors in Common Rider shows. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but just, just the fact that Zeo was like, Okay, buddy, you're awful and I hate you and that is why I have been ignoring you for the past, like, four and a half months. But you can at least have your emotional support robot with you while you rot in jail. <laughs> like, that was very cute. It was. And, and look, Zaya is a benevolent goddess after all. Though if she knew enough to do that, a part of me is just wondering, like, what kind of info Hiden Intelligence has been collecting, either from their products or from the various cameras and the like in the area that have been set up as part of our surveillance society. Which also reminds me... Uh, you cannot buy the Ivo 1000 in Illinois, or take it, like, I guess if you already own it, you can probably take it into Illinois, but maybe not. You, you can't ship, yeah. they, Sony will not ship one there. Yeah, because Illinois has a, a law about uh, biometric data security, 
and those cute robot dogs have cameras in them because they can do facial recognition and recognize you as a person. And, um, like, Sony is not in compliance with the uh, Illinois Biometric Security Law. Uh, there is a link to that in the as mentioned as well. We we did a lot of research about this robot dog, y'all. <laughs> well, research might be a little... For about an hour and a half before we started recording this episode, we were just reading stuff about these robot dogs. Look, they're good dogs, oh, Brett. But I mean, Guy did give his whole backstory right in front of the printer, which is the thing directly connected to Satellite Zaya, who has apparently, because Aruto and Izu can still connect to it, just been here the whole time and has just been ignoring him. Okay, that's a, that's a good point. That's much better. I like that much better. Like, yeah, good point. He is essentially, like, having this conversation in Satellite Zaya's house. Yeah, it's true. And this is just the one time she's like, Alright, dude. I hate you, but I am not unmoved by your story of sealing away your awesome robot dog. I just... They really got me with that robot dog, yo. And man, they kicked me in the guts when Ames rolls up and is like, Yaiba, you're, you're still our captain. You'll always be our captain. We, we always want to, like, follow you. Like... And she's having these very small expressions of her very clearly trying not to have an emotion because she is so full of emotion of how much she cares about these guys who followed her and how much it means that they still respect and care about her after she left and that they didn't just give in to Guy. And then... Because if you remember during the firefighter episode, like, one of them is hurt and she goes nuts. Like, she is ready to triage the guy. And I think it was one of these two guys, because they only really have two actors that they keep getting back for Ames. And I, I think they're suit actors, I would assume. Um, which is why Toei has them. But I think it was even one of these two guys. So how... And then, you know, Fua just kind of gives her this little nudge of like, hey... These are your people. This is what you can go back to. And I really hope that we get to see Yua reform Ames into something that is working for Yumagir instead of technically against them. Yeah. I mean, back in the beginning, they weren't technically working against Yumagir. But um, also, yes, they were. <laughs> I mean, at least... But they weren't not doing yeah. that. Because, I mean, like, there, there was the whole thing where there were specific regulations of, like, hey, you can't make an AI that, like, you can't make a Yuma gear that looks like an, a living human, like a human person without their written permission. And that was a, that was within their jurisdiction. Fua tries to arrest a dude over that. Which? So, like, that's not specifically working against Yuma gear, but they also weren't not working against Yuma gear. Yeah. Is the thing. Yeah. And it's just, it's nice to see that uh, these these robot cops are willing to change their methodologies and not just follow orders or the worst parts of their own nature. Uh, instead, they, they would like someone in command who knows what is up and, and has principles. And uh, boy, I can't imagine any uh, real-world organizations who wear a lot of blue who could use something like that in their souls. 
this is where I look at the camera like it's the office. And, but just just that you, like, they're saying this to Yua, and she looks like she's going to cry. Yeah. Like, she cannot face them, and she looks like she is going to break down and cry. It's so nice just- Because they want her back. It's so nice, just the, the actress who plays Yua, she starts out just so stiff, and so untouched by the world, so above it, and now, at this point in the show, she is just in the world and of the world, and- trying to maintain that same distance but she's you know she's got all these emotions now and it's so good also puppy thouser doing the izu slide into the fight as guy saves arto was just it was incredible top tier cinematic content put it in a movie theater it is absolute art give it an oscar yeah i'm i'm right with you i just you could honestly that would be a great way to just start a movie adorable robot dog just sliding in i just man that is some good good advertising for the ibo though (laughs) how many kids do you think were just like parents i don't know who their parents are you know just mom just dad two dads two moms i don't know can we get one of those robot dogs no why not like just i imagine so many parents are hating that dog's I can't imagine that they're widely marketed enough that a lot of young kids would recognize it as a product they could buy. That's true. That's true. Boy, I again, I really would hope not. <laughs> I mean, God, God help them if they see one out in the wild somewhere. Yeah, man. But because, like, look again, we we've spent like an hour and a half just looking at stuff and. Mm, one of the like the blog in the uh, in the as mentioned, if you go back far enough, the the person running it has some advice for how to go about purchasing ibos for relatively cheap. So, uh, hi the hence. I do adore robot puppy Thouser going absolutely buck wild when Aruto transforms, and apparently the actual. 2018 Ibo Robot is now programmed to react to the Zero One transformation jingle, which is absolutely wild, and I love it. Same. I just, I'm just imagining the the like handful of people who have it and watch Common Rider, and they just like they didn't know that that bit of of software upgrade was included in the last. I don't know how they upgrade, but I imagine, you know, they just get Wi-Fi. Just all of a sudden they're watching Kamen Rider, and then the dog just flips out and, like, cheers. Can you imagine that? God. But just the rich Zero One fans are going to be impossible to hang out with after that. Like, especially if Sony keeps updating the Ibo to react in different ways to the new transformation jingles as they come out. And like, look, why wouldn't you? If I was Bandai, I would just be like, hey man, can you just, here's here's the new jingle. Can you just add that in? I'd do it. It's a cool idea. Also, like, a part of me wanted to put this in the bad stuff, but it's not really bad. But um, I just, I want to express mild disappointment that the dog didn't turn into an upgrade or something for the Thouser armor. 
because I just thought that'd be adorable. Just like a little like a little dog boxing glove, so like the dog can punch you, or or like a dog shoulder armor, and like it it like opens its mouth and a laser shoots out. I don't know. I'm just I'm just spitballing here, but I just I thought that'd be adorable. Also, I adore that we come into the the post transition fight of this episode with you know guys given his apology like guys explaining his his whole like face turn and izu just like slowly turns her head and he's like well then i think someone owes aruto an apology and then he does it and she's like no do it better which look legit though but seriously just that that bit where she's like hey hey you didn't bow low enough try again like, that's so good. And look, a uh, slight tangent, not really, but kind of one. Over here at, at my place, we've been talking a lot about, me and my partner, about how good uh, Noah Tsurushima is as Izu. Just how she walks that fine line between robot on the edge of selfhood and robot who has become her own person, but always really embodying the robot side and still managing to convey all of these emotions because there is such acid underneath. I believe a 90-degree bow is the proper bow to use for this kind of interaction. Like, just her telling him, hey, this is how you apologize. And she's still so polite, she's still so smiling, but also that robot wants to kick him in the face. (laughs) And it's just, it's a great bit of acting. And, like, it kind of brings me to the best and most unexpected thing about this episode. Is not only is Guy forced to give escalating apologies to Aruto, Yua, and Fua, but all three of them respond with, Cool, buddy, but we're way past the point of an apology fixing this. Yes. Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. Because, look... That's the correct reaction. For like, look, I'm not, I'm not going to spit on the concept of forgiveness. It is beautiful, and I'm told it could be quite therapeutic. But also, it is not owed to people, especially when the thing they that they did is like a year of trying to literally murder you and or your friends, and also put a chip in your brain that puppeteered your body. <laughs> Like, he did, he messed with your literal, actual, factual, physical brain. You know what? (laughs) Yeah, there is no apologizing that fixes that. Yeah, and like, no one forgives him. There is no one he apologizes to that actually forgives him. Aruto demands Guy put in the work to clean up his mess. Fua demands proof of sincerity by giving the robot cops to Yua. Yua's just so beyond this dude that she wants no part of it and just wants to leave. And that's all very valid. You don't gotta forgive people who hurt you just because they say you're sorry if you're still hurting. Especially not someone who's hurt these three as deeply or broadly as Guy has. Um, and I, I hope that, you know, once we, we get Metsubo Jinrai out from under the arc, he will apologize to them also, especially Naki, because he shot her in the head. 
Him. Them. Them. Um, don't know where that came from. Weird. Um, you know, brains are silly especially things. Especially Naki. Yeah, especially Naki, because he shot them in the head. And I think I was still thinking about Yua. I th- yeah, look. Is, is where that might have come also, from. Yeah, um, yeah. Because, like, if there's two people who really get to uh, get on that dude, it's Naki and Yua. Yeah. But, like, they, like, Arto and Yua and Fua will tolerate Guy helping to stop the Ark because that is his responsibility because he created this problem. But no one wants to be his friend. No one can just take his apology and forgive and forget because he's ruined literally every single one of their lives for fun and profit. Yeah, he's, he, again, he has an extremely cool puppy, an extremely understandable motive, but also that is extremely still murdering a lot of ruined lives behind you, bro. And it's just, it's a thing that I didn't expect from Kamen Rider, because as we've mentioned... Um, I know we kind of nodded toward Ghost about this, and they had a big problem with that, but they're not the only ones. Where they will often forgive bad people of worse things because they say they're sorry and have a sad backstory. And then they become one of the team and do some rider kicks together, or are just best friends again. It was also kind of a problem in Forza. I don't think Tame should have been which one was Tomei? Uh, Miu's friend. Oh. From the very yeah, beginning. That, mm. From the Queen Fest Yeah, start. that's... Like, girl, you were just kind of rude and terrible. Yeah. Um, it was a little bit of a problem in Forza. Um, but Forza, the tone of Forza, you know, honestly, I can deal with Gedro forgiving everyone, as long as everyone else kind of doesn't. Yeah. It was a, it was a very big problem with Ryusei. I I remember being very bothered after Gentaro's, you know, third day resurrection. And I'm fine with him forgiving Ryusei because that's what he does. But everyone else, I kind of expected to stay mad about it for a little while and each get an episode about learning to forgive him. That would have been much better. Um, but they all just are like, oh, well, I guess Gentaro forgave him, so we're moving on. Well, I mean, I, in fairness, I do get that, because as they say, like, well, you killed a guy and he forgave you, so, alright. I mean, at least Kengo. And I mean, I guess Kengo was kind of still mad, but he never, there was never really anything, he was only mad for, like, two episodes, and then he just got over it. There wasn't any him, like, confronting Ryusei about it. Mm. I really expected, like, the rest of the Common Rider Club to confront him and be like, look, he forgives you, but if you might so much as look at him weird again, the other six of us are gonna snap you. And they just didn't do that, and it would have been more interesting than a lot of the other stuff going on in the show at the time. That's true. So, like I said, this is, this is a problem in Common Rider, and I was very worried that, you know... Especially since we open the show on Guy affirming that, like, he's on Aruto's side and Aruto gives the little smile and they transform and, and do the rider kick together. Like, I was afraid Aruto was just gonna let this go. I thought maybe Yua would be mad because she did, she, you know, she punched that guy in the face and he did some terrible stuff to her. And maybe Fua would be like, eh, R2 
Naruto thinks he's fine. I just want to move on with my life because now I get to re-examine my life as a normal person. But seeing Aruto immediately after that fight be the first one to stand up and be like, yo, buddy, so what the heck was all of this? Like, why did you even do any of this? It was terrible. And that was really refreshing and comforting. It really was. Because, like, again, like, with Ghost, they just, they went a little too far into forgive anything and everything no matter what. Because, like, look... I get why they were trying it, but the examples they used were bad for all-around forgiveness, because no. No. And and here they're taught... This is another reason why I, I like this show is the start of the Reiwa era, because they're bringing a much more nuanced, balanced, thoughtful, and dare I say the dreaded R-word, realistic levels of social interaction and forgiveness, because yeah, there are, like, look, again, I'm sure, I have been assured by many people that forgiveness is a beautiful, holy thing, but I ain't, uh, I feel a lot more secure when you can look at someone in the eye and say, hey, I'm not mad at you, but I definitely remember the stuff you did, and no, we're not cool. And that's just, that's good. You can do cool stuff. There is a road out of being a garbage person, but it's not on the people you hurt to forgive you. It's on you being a better person and putting in the work. And I like that that's the moral we seem to be going with with Guy. And I've got to hand it to him. He accepts the terms everyone sets out for him without any argument. Like, Aruto's like, you did all this terrible stuff and you've got to fix it. And he's like, yeah, I'm committed to doing that. He doesn't ask forgiveness. He just gives his apologies and accepts that he's not forgiven and he doesn't deserve forgiveness. And I can accept him as sincere because he's not getting what he wants. He's getting what he deserves and he just takes it. And he's like, yep, this is how... This is going to be going. I can't blame anyone for feeling this way. I am just going to give my apologies and commit to trying to make up for even a fraction of the damage I've done. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't even know if he wants forgiveness, honestly. He just sincerely wants to set things right, regardless of personal consequence. And I can at least... Give him my respect for that, even if I still think he's a big sack of trash. I mean, he is still a big sack of trash, but yes, I can also give him give him that respect. Because, like, look, he's still new to not being a jerk, but he's on his way to not being a jerk, and that's not nothing. And, and you know, I can, I can speak from personal experience. It is a hard shift when you're on the path toward being a jerk, and then you make a turn out of it. And I imagine it's an even harder one when you're basically have built your life on being the king of the toolboxes and then you try and swerve out of it. It, it feels like he'll get there, which is nice. And, you know, again, like we were saying, uh, that's also about all I'd be willing to accept from him. So hats off to Yuya for, for threading that needle, because boy, it couldn't have been easy. And something tells me Yuya has watched some previous years of Common Rider and just been like, no. No. 
I call I call shenanigans. I mean, I do have to give him credit. Like, I was ne- I never really bought into any of Hero's stuff, but when when they had him and Tiger reconcile, like that was solid. You know, Yuya has also learned a lot about how to do a how to do a hero show. Man, I'm still just remembering that. I always go back to it, just Taiga in the water with his "Here's why I should be the only common rider" speech. Yeah, and it's it's great because you, if you remember at the beginning of of X Aid, I really wanted to like Taiga, and I couldn't. It was hard. He was not doing anything. They they made it. It wasn't even that he was bad. He just did nothing. He did zero things. He contributed not at all. And then Nico shows up, and it's like, oh, this is what you need. You needed a foil. Now you're great. Now you're the best character in this show. Yeah, it was so good. Man, X8, again, it's it's not a perfect show, but man, when it worked. It's still a good show. Yeah. It's a really good show. Yeah, it's not, yeah. It's not perfect, but it's really good. I do really like that Naki and Ikazuchi seem to have bonded. Um, They're both just played by really compelling actors and have this sort of parallel thing where Ikazuchi has, or at least had, a very concrete dream of being in space with his brother and getting his brother to be great enough to take care of the satellite on his own. And Naki is, or was, trying to just at all grasp onto what a dream can even be. And even though they've only really interacted while under the control of the Ark, when one is hurt, the other immediately leaps to their aid in this show of care that would almost feel out of place under the Ark's very cold, utilitarian way of doing things if these weren't characters who we already knew to be so emotionally driven. And especially characters who we know have latched onto others really deeply on an emotional level before this. Um, Like, the two of them currently see Jin as a traitor, so they're not really gonna latch onto him. And Hirobi's pretty much benched since the Ark needs his body. So the only ones they can really cling to are each other, and it's some really beautiful visual language that shows that Ikazuchi and Naki are both still in there. They can both be saved because they're people with hearts. The Ark hasn't or hasn't been able to make them into unfeeling tools. And I feel like it's more that he's not trying to because, again, um, he was able to kind of use Ikazuchi, Ikazuchi's emotionality as Raiden to manipulate Aruto. So I feel like he finds that useful to him. But that's going to bite him in the butt. Oh, yeah, because... He, he doesn't realize he's in a common Rider show, and the power of love conquers everything. Yeah. Which, you know, that is that is the important thing and part of the narrative here in these awful times that I think is important to cling to. Which is that there is no amount of force or violence you can put on someone that will make them not a person. You can hurt them into acting the way you want there's still people underneath what, however they're acting and whatever they're pretending for your sake. Except it's not for your sake, it's for their own sake. And that's, 
you know, maybe the, the person already sucks, or, or maybe the hurt will convince them that being awful is the thing to do, but you just, you can't take the capacity to love out of a person. And I don't know, that's, that's something to me in these, in these sort of despair-filled times. And also, you know, for this narrative, because no matter what you take out of uh, Ikazuchi and Naki, they are still machines that are capable of love, and uh, that's why that's why the arc can't win. And like we, you know, narratively speaking, of course, the arc isn't gonna win, but they make a really good case for why that is, without even having to say so. It's it's really lovely. I also love the bit where like guy gets a little passive aggressive during his apology to you and Fua because they're like, we don't buy this, and he's like. If I wasn't sincere, I wouldn't have bothered. And, like, much like Izu is like, no, do your apology better. And both Hua and Fua are like, what the heck? This dude is being bossed around by a robot puppy. I mean, look, on top of everything else, you know, the, the no, do better, but also, wow, the, the, this dude is being bossed around by a robot puppy thing. That's a fair reaction. Because no one is prepared to see someone else have a talk with a literal cricket, as in a Jiminy Cricket, which is just so, like, yeah, that is a weird thing to say. That said, um, I'm so happy that Bowser is getting to act as Guy's Jiminy Cricket. Just, he, yeah, he gets his conscience, and it's it's external, and that's beautiful. I, I just love him, like, scrambling over to the desk, like, oh no, Bowser, don't cry! And Fua and Yua are just, like, they don't have any idea how to respond to Guy, like, scooping up the robot puppy and trying to, like, comfort it. So good. Like, I can't remember if I was saying this before we were recording or not, but Yua's just like, I can't, I can't deal with him having real people emotions. I need to get out of this room. Yeah. We're leaving. Yeah. Because, like, look, no, you cannot be prepared for that. No one is prepared for that. I've seen it. I'm still... I've seen it. It happened. He's not a real person. I'm still not prepared for it. Like, the Bond villain usually strokes the cat as a way to look vaguely above it all and, and menacing, but you never see the Bond villain just breaking down and begging their puppy not to be mad at them while they are trying to apologize to you. That's... No one is prepared for that because... You describe it, and it sounds like, oh, Guy is dangerously unstable. Which, I mean... Which he might be. Yeah. Again, he's not not unstable. But it's just... here. Here is this grown man who also is an even more of a grown man than he looks like as a grown man. And he's just sobbing and, and clutching this puppy and begging the puppy to forgive him, he'll do better in the future. I'm not saying this is some Son of Sam stuff, but mm, <laughs> I also would want to get out of the room. Whether or not I could handle people having emotions in a room with me, I would still want out of that room. Though, as I often am with Yua and Fua, I was really touched how their biggest concerns for Guy's apology were him apologizing to the other one. Like, Yua's biggest point of contention is that Guy literally stole Fua's life from him, with no regard to the fact that he also put a chip in her brain. 
Like, yeah, he didn't rewrite her memories, but he did, like, physically abuse her with it. And she, like, she doesn't care about that part. She's just like, you, like, stole all of his memories. And Fua doesn't care about that. He doesn't care what Guy's done to him. But he just wants him to put in the work to make up to Yua Zaya's misuse of her technology and her skills because it's it's what she has. And that betrayal to her has completely thrown off her entire life to the point where she doesn't really know how to exist in the world. And he's like, yo, give her back the place she belongs. And I got kind of a little weepy when Fuib demanded that more or less that place is Ames and that guy needs to hand it over to Yua. Like, he's got a home to go back to after all of this. He knows where his family is. But the only way he can accept this apology is if Yua gets that too. Yeah, and, I mean, first off, it is beautiful friendship stuff, and as should probably be clear, we here on the TOL network are big fans of friendship. But also, I just, I think it points to a thing I know I have noticed in many people in my orbit, uh, which is that it's easier to demand an apology for your friends than for yourself. It's that thing where you can take any insult or whatever in stride, but if someone says one bad thing about your friends, you're you're just ready to go full werewolf on them. And I, I, I kind of like that, because in my experience, and please, like, I can only speak to my experience, like, this is... This is a, a habit of thought that comes in a lot of people who've been harmed uh, by by whatever thing, society, parents, just who have some sort of trauma or, or brain issue. I'm not being judgmental. I have those brain issues. I'm on like three medications, so my brain works. Um, but it's it's... It's nice to see, like, okay, if these people will not advocate for themselves, yeah, there's nothing wrong with you advocating for your friends. Because sometimes they can't do it for themselves because they're, you know, whatever. Why ever? Advocating for your friends and making sure they get justice is a part of being a friend. and That's just beautiful. Uh, so my confusion about what Ikazuchi did or didn't remember before this episode aside, I laughed really hard when Jin was asking, like, how he managed to escape the Ark, clearly meaning the Ark's, like, mental control over him. And Ikazuchi's just like, I ran really fast. <laughs> that was just a really good gag. Seriously, that guy who plays Ikazuchi, I am so sad that we don't get to see more of him. He's really good. Also, like... Not for nothing. That could be the answer. Like, it's not. But it's not like it couldn't be. He, he just, you know, he could just run really fast and, and somehow run faster than the mental control. I don't know. I just... <laughs> just like, I just ran really fast so he couldn't catch me. Because, sure, why not? Of course, like, we're not supposed to believe it. Because, <laughs> like, Jin's just like... No. That, no. <laughs> also, the arc hacking Zaya and, like, corrupting the whole interior was so good and menacing and terrifying. Oh, yeah. It just, it, 
And also, it feels like exactly the kind of supervillain move you'd want from an intelligence that's basically Michael Myers with ambition. Because, yeah, man. Oh, there's a kind of benevolent god here? Cool. I'm going to fix that. Just, man. The the arc is nasty and bad. I love it. Um, but I feel like that's that's it for our most of our, our thoughts on the episode at large. More or less. I just I just want to throw out a, a silly idea. Like I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but it was suggested to me by my partner, and I am I am not unconvinced by it anyway. Uh, which is what with uh, that horrible bit where where Zaya gets taken over. Um, my port my partner pointed to Thouser having just been created and acting as Guy's conscience as possible evidence that the little Sony luxury robopet might well contain a restore state or antivirus or backup copy of Zaya, and it'd be really cute if they let that pupper save the day. That would be cute, but I'm not totally sure how I feel about it. Partially because Thouser is such a recent addition to the show, so it feels a little deus ex machina That's true. But more than that, because I'm not sure that I want the thing that saves the day in the show to be specifically and solely connected to Guy. Uh, yeah, good point. Um, like, maybe if, if it has some kind of trigger that can activate through the other Yuma Gear, or do something, like, connect to the keys that Aruto downloaded off of Zaya before leaving Hiden... Like, if Zaya has, is such a wild card for the arc, it's possible maybe she knew that things would lead to this, um, because, you know, she's second generation, she's maybe able to make the predictions a little bit better, since the only thing the arc can't predict is her, and meaning, she, and if she can do essentially the same thing slightly better, she would be able to predict the arc. Um, so maybe she's been scattering parts of her backup this whole time because you always want to have more than one backup. That's yeah, redundancies are Thouser is just, and you know, Thouser is just that final piece where you know Thouser can trigger it because you know she knew the arc would be coming for her. I'd be kind of more okay with that, I think, because I'd rather see all of the Yumagir save Zaya than any individual in particular. I'd, I'd accept Izu just because it's Izu, um, but I think thematically having all of the Yumagir rise up to defeat the Ark works a little better than any individual AI. That's, that's a very good point. Yeah. I just thought it was a fun idea because that's a cute puppy. He is a cute puppy. Uh, and I do really want Yeah, him. no, it's, it's hard not to. So, hey, way to go show where the villain is capitalism. You got us back. You got us. You brought us back around on at least that aspect of capitalism. So that's that's really a joke. Because like, anyway, anyway, I don't feel like getting into that that deep philosophical stuff. Because this recording is already like an hour forty five, <laughs> and it is late here. So um, do we have any any final thoughts other than like I for one am super hyped about the next episode. Yeah, uh, excited for more, want the robot puppy, that's pretty much where I'm at right now. Uh, hey, uh, check out the, the, was it, yeah, the, the ERS-220, 
that robot design is a nightmare and I want one. Except no, I don't. Anyway, uh, so for all of us here at the Uncommon Cast RX and the rest of the TOL network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Saw. And don't get kicked by a horse and die. <laughs>